serious about your marriages and about your relationships uh, and about your soon-to-be marriages. God bless you to everyone that's online as well. Uh, I was talking to my wife as we drove over here, and we were just talking about um, marriages and the, the enemy is, has an attack on marriages. How many of you know that? The enemy has a deep attack on marriages. I've literally had to, right in the back, as they were building the, the, the marriage counseling room and uh, the teen room and the kids room, uh, which we swapped, as they're building it up, there was a guy there, a minister, who's was talking about leaving his wife and marriage was under attack. And I literally just grabbed him, held him, and prayed the enemy off of his marriage the enemy knows that if he can get marriages, he can get families. And if he can get families, he can get neighborhoods. If he can get neighborhoods, he can get communities. If he can get communities, he can get cities and states and nations. So it's been uh, uh, an interesting few years in the areas of marriages. I can't tell you just in the last five, ten years how many marriages i've had to pull off of the the rocks you know pull off of the edge and what's so crazy is when we do a marriage conference it's the least hailed conference we do every year we do the back to school and we have the field over here i mean as far people as far as your eyes can see we do cookouts in the back and we have horses and there's you can't even get enough people but the least least attended event every single year and we're only one year old, so this is our second one. But out of all of the events, we probably do a dozen events every year. The least attended is the marriage conference. And it's so shocking that a lot of times people don't want to work on their marriage until it's on fire. And by then, just even today, uh, or I don't know how many days ago it was, First Lady has a friend that does her hair. And the friend just did her hair what was it, maybe a month ago, and she said she invited her and her husband to the marriage conference tonight, and she was like, oh, we, we separated, but that would have been great. <laughs> I'm like, man, you, you, we're going to go over it tonight. We have a lot of material to go over because I have taken an active stance against the devil when it comes to marriages. I have taken an active stance. I put my foot down and said, devil, you just can't have any more. So we're going to cover a lot tonight, but I want you to absorb it. I want you to, to uh, everybody has a sheet, right? Does everybody have a pen, right? So I really want you to absorb it. <clears throat> I really want you to absorb it. And I want you to take notes, follow along. This will help Make your marriage stronger if it's strong, better even if it's good, and amazing even if it's bad. Amen? Amen? All right. So we're going to get into it. I'm going to be moving quickly because we have a lot to cover. I have to get you a year of material in one evening. So we're going to be moving and moving and moving. So make sure... Um, that you're, you're, you're following and staying along. So we're going to kind of jump into it. Normally we always start with the scripture and we pray, um, but we're going to pray, we're going to jump into it, and then we're going to stand for the scriptures after. But right now we're just going to go ahead and pray. So if you want to stand, we will pray. And at the end, First Lady and I are going to pray 
for all of you. Lord God, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your spirit being in the house. We thank you for the revelation that you've provided, Lord God, tonight for this marriage conference. Let it bless everyone here, every marriage here, everyone online taking notes all over the the country and all over the world, Lord. We weren't going to televise this, but First Lady got so many messages from all over the world that we decided to, to televise it, Lord God, to put it out there so it can bless people. And glad we did, Father, because we also decided to make it a requirement before we marry anyone that they watch tonight the message, Father, and absorb it for their marriage. Lord God, we just thank you. Let tonight be a night of restoration, of power, of favor, of forgiveness, of grace, of love, and mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Now go ahead and look at your boo and say, you steal my valentine. You steal my valentine. You, you just about, what? Come on now. <laughs> you got to love, you, you know, you got to still have fun in your marriage. And that's one thing. This is I'm going off script real quickly. But I, I learned you have to have fun in your marriage. Someone told me that. Like, you got to have fun in your marriage. And for me, I wasn't, a, uh, uh, I was always serious. That's where Xander gets it from. I was always a real serious guy. And it's not a good trait. It's not a good trait. Uh, because I just didn't know how to, to, to just have fun. I didn't know how to. And in your marriage, you need to have fun. It doesn't need to be all business all the time. And uh, I had to learn how to have fun and smile. But my mind was always, what's the next thing? What's the next business deal? What's the next uh, thing with, with this? What's the next thing with that? You know, uh, still in school, I have two more courses, then I'll be finished with my master's. Praise the Lord, because I'm tired of school. Y'all can clap for that. I uh, was going to go right back for my doctorate degree. Um, because I'm writing about three or four books right now, and I want to be able to put Dr. Griffin on them, you know, you know, uh, but, but I realize I'm just hating school right now. So I'm just giving myself till 50 to get finished the PhD. So uh, I'm like, I'm not going to rush this at all. I might take one class a year or something. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was always so serious, always about business. And sometimes you just got to smile. Sometimes you just got to have fun. Amen. All right. So we've prayed. You can be seated. And let me turn this on. We actually have chocolates for you uh, afterwards as well. So we're going to give you all the sugar high uh, when you when you go. But all right. So we're just going to jump right into it. Why is marriage important? Let me get one of those little keys, too. Is there any left? Any of those little keys? Um, I have it right up here. It's right on the the PowerPoint, but uh, I'm going to use this key so I can make sure I stay with you all as well. But why is marriage important? Matter of fact, let's stand for this. We're going to stand for the reading of the word. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7 through now. Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say it is good for them. Oh, I forget those. this TV's working again. Amen. Why? why? Uh, 1 Corinthians said we're used to it just being black and just saying random stuff. Just Now it's working again. All right. Why is marriage important? 1 Corinthians 7 through now. Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried, as I do. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to what? Burn with passion. Don't be burning with passion. Go ahead, get married. Uh, To the married, those to the unmarried. To the married, I give this command. Not I, but the Lord. Lowercase O-R-D, so what is that? 
master, not I, but the master. A wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried. That's till she dies or else be reconciled back to the husband she left. And the husband must not divorce his wife. To the rest, I say this, not I, but who? The Lord, the master. If any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his believing wife. And the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. Ooh, that's good. So why is marriage important? Paul would say that it is what? Not important. You can be seated. Paul would say that it is not important to get married. So your first right there, Paul would say it is not important to get married. But if you are all, but if you are already married, then it is important to what? Stay married. So why is marriage important? It's not if you're single. Paul actually makes the argument, it is better for you not to marry. He says it's better for you to not marry like I didn't marry. He says you can do more for God. It, go, it goes on in Corinthians to say, listen, if you're not married, your only desire is how to please Jesus. How can I please God? How can I do it? You need me to go to Africa? I can go. If you need me to go to mission trips, I don't have any, any uh, spouse, any children, nothing holding me back. Lord, whatever. You need me to just stay on the streets, Lord God, and, 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 and panhandle just to eat so I can preach your gospel every day. You can do it because your only concern is God. You only have one covenant if you're single, and that is with God. And we're going to talk about covenants a little bit later on tonight. But you only have one covenant, that is God. So Paul says, if you can stay unmarried, do it. So you can just focus on serving God. He says, but if you find yourself burning, burning with passion, if every girl that walks by, you have every kind of thought under the world, and it ain't about praying for them. <laughs> if if uh, every man that walks by, you just you just can't control yourself. You're just daydreaming about him. Oh, if he just wraps me up in my arm. Like, if you can't control your hormones, just then get married. Because it's better to marry than to burn with passion. God doesn't want you out there, you know, blocking your way to heaven because you're fornicator, which is sex outside of marriage. Right? So why is marriage important? Paul would say that it is not important to get married, but if you are already married, it is important to stay married. Paul would also say that it is better to marry than to burn with passions. Better to marry than to burn with passions. That's your next. No, we kind of covered that. Now, let's, what, would, what would God say? God would say that to those who are married, be fruitful and multiply or have godly children. My wife and I was talking about that in the car. One of the most important things to do if you're married is multiply. That's probably why God made sex feel so good. Because he wanted us to be fruitful and multiplying. We're talking about marriages and we're all adults here. That's probably why he made it so amazing. That way you would multiply. He created two people. 
It must be amazing because now we have 8 billion people on the planet. From 2 to 8 billion, it must be pretty good stuff. So God would say, be fruitful and multiply. And we've got to realize God made marriage, God made people, God made sex. These aren't bad things or evil things. These are blessings from God. But just like paint, that when you paint the wall, if you use it right, it's amazing. But if you're out back huffing the paint, you're killing yourself, right? So when just like medicine, Tylenol is great. You have a headache, take some Tylenol. But if you take the whole bottle, you kill yourself, right? Things when used properly are incredible. But good things can be harmful when used improperly. Now, we heard what Brother Paul would say, Pastor Paul. We heard what God would say. Jesus would say that marriage is important because he died so that you could be married to him. And what could be more important than that? <laughs> Jesus was like, what, what could be more important than that? I, they literally, I'm, I'm the, the son of God. I control the universe. They asked Jesus once when he's being disrespected by some Samaritans. His disciples came to Jesus and said, hey, man, you want us to call down fire from heaven and just burn up these haters? And Jesus says, no, I could do that. I came to save them, not to destroy them. So you're looking at the most powerful being in the universe, allowing himself to be spit, spit on, mocked, and disrespected. Also that he could marry you. Once again, your first covenant, we're going to talk about that a little bit more. So why is marriage important? Just told you, Jesus died for it. Let's read 2 Corinthians 11 too. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. And you can stand. We're going to read a little bit here. 2 Corinthians 11, 2, I am jealous for you with a godly jealous. Remember Genesis? It says God is a jealous one. God. I promised you to one husband to Christ so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. Remember the cross made us pure virgins. It made us clean. It wiped away our sin. Now we can be presented as a perfect bride to our husband Christ. Revelation 19.7 would say, let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb. Jesus, the perfect lamb slain for our salvation, has come and his bride has made herself ready. How do we make ourselves ready? By accepting what he did at the cross and making a conscious decision to follow him. All right, you can be seated. So why is marriage important? Because it is a covenant. You probably hear me talk about it all, all throughout the year. Marriage is a covenant because it is a covenant. Only one of two you'll ever make in your entire life. So important that God created terms for those who break it. Fornicators, adulterers, lusters of the heart, lusters of the eyes. God said, even if you look at a woman... Or man, with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery. You've broken your vow. And if you go back to Revelation, he says adulterers burn in hell. How can you look God in his eye if you've been looking at pornography in the eye? After you've been, the, the girl walks past you and you just, all right, that's nice. <laughs> right? You've been lusting in your heart, lusting in your eyes. Because God wants you to Lust after one person, and that is your spouse. Lust after them all you want. You can go, uh, you know, 
paint your whole room red and put roses on the bed. You can get the, the, the my wife loves to quote, the marriage bed is undefiled. And that's, that's what the Bible says. So you can lust after your spouse all you want. But God wants us to know that marriage is perfect and holy. Amen. He wants us to, there's, there should be a certain weight and gravitas to marriage. Now, if you've been lusting and sinning, just repent. You can't control your mind as much as you can control your actions. Having a thought, crazy thought, that's one thing. Put it out of your mind, repent. But making actions to look at things and making it a lifestyle and making excuses, well, you know, I'm just a man. That's how I know. I'm just a woman. I just, no. God made men and women perfect in his image. Genesis says, Imago Dei. So he made us perfect. We choose to sin. Why is marriage important? Ephesians 5, 21 through 33. So go ahead and turn to your Bibles. Open up your Bibles. Who needs a Bible? All right, if you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hands. But we're going to go ahead and boom. <laughs> well, hopefully you're giving them to people that need them and praying for them because that's what you should be doing if you have one already. Keep one in the car. Amen. So Ephesians 5. 21 through 33, say amen when you got it. All right. Why is marriage important? Ephesians 5, 21 through 33. Here we go. Submit to one, what? Out of reverence for Christ or fear of God. Oh, this is good. We're going we're gonna to have to come back through this. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the master, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. And to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become what? One flesh. He goes on 32 to say this is a profound mystery. But I am talking about Christ and the what? However, each one of you also must love his, love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must what? Respect her husband. Maybe see, let's, let's dissect that. This is, hopefully that hit everybody in the face. It was just like, ah, ah, right? Come on, that's, that, should, that should put some things in perspective. Let, let me tell you, if you get your theology from the world, oh my goodness, you are doomed. The world divorce rate goes up. Broken homes grow up. Addiction goes up. I was telling my wife about dating. A lot of times in our mind, and, and I hear the Lord saying, be easy on this analogy. A lot of times with dating, we think it's amazing. The longer we're married, the more amazing dating was. If you've been married a year, you're like, oh, I hated dating. 
But by the time you get to year 5, 10, 15, 20, you've created an illusion in your mind if you're a man that you were a stud and you could have like Beyonce if you wanted. Like, and, and if you're a woman, you just created this thing in your mind that, oh, any, I, you know, I can do better. I can just walk down the street, right? However, if, if, if you walked on water, why did you end up together? Why didn't you get that millionaire boyfriend or why didn't you get uh, this supermodel? I've talked to guys who think that they are just God's gift to women and that if they got single, they would just be Casanova. And it's crazy because then you see these guys, you know, you're trying to fight them out of alcoholism because they're alone. It never works how it works in your mind. Amen. And even if it did, which it doesn't, you still want to honor God. You still want to honor God. Let's, let's break this down line by line because this is some good, good stuff on marriage right here. 21, submit one to one another out of fear for God or reverence for Christ. So a lot of times we think that it goes one way. The man is the head. The man just gets to put his foot down and say jump and everybody jumps. Right? But it says submit one to another. It means honor each other. Now, at the end of the day, the act still falls on the man's head for how he led his family. He's going to have to answer for how he led his family and his children, whether it was with love, grace, and holiness. But he is not to dominate in just a uh, diminutive type style or way because you want your family to follow you because they respect you, because they love you, and not just because... They, they fear your wrath. They should have a healthy respect for you, and they should know not to play with what you say, but that's the difference between just being terrified to even smile in front of you. That's not the same. They said there's a, they asked a question to these military soldiers, would you rather be loved or feared? Some said loved, some say feared. But you want to be loved. You want to be honored. I've, I've worked many jobs, and the person that just huffs and puffs, and then the guy that walks around huffs and puffs, people just don't like him. And sometimes they purposely do things to thwart him or her. But the person that was loved because they honored people and respected people, they bend over backwards to help them. So you should respect and submit one to another. Verse 23, for the husband is the head. Say the head. Of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. So he's saying, yes, Christ is the head of the church. However, the husband is the head of the wife and the head of the family. And I talk about, you know, the Me Too movement. As Christians, we want women to be respected. However, I don't think that movement was about respecting women as much as it was um, emasculating men as in much as it was to lower men because if men can be lowered then in essence you've chopped off the head they say if you chop off the head the body will fall so i believe it was a demonic ploy to chop off the head to make men feel like they were less than because the expectation from women to men is still the same the expectation from women to men is still the same 
A woman, on average, still wants a man to be the head of the house. Still wants a man to be able to provide. Still wants a man to be able to show love. Still wants a strong man. I haven't met a woman yet that says, yeah, I'm looking for a man that's kind of wimpy. You know, if he walks with a twist, that's fine. Uh, if, if he's just broke, I'm totally fine with that. I'm independent. I don't mind paying for everything. If someone breaks in the house, I'll just tell them to, to stay in the bedroom. I'll protect them. Just hadn't met a woman yet that says that's her ideal man. So the expectation is for men still to be men. That's the expectation from the home. However, the expectation from the world is that men can be feminine, men can be soft, and men can play the background. Well, that's going to take a huge problem in the household when the man thinks he can sit on the couch and play Xbox and a woman wants him to go out and kill the meat and bring it home. That's why we have to get our definitions of men and women from the word. We have to get our uh, definitions and expectations of uh, gender roles from the word. And now order from the word of God. Amen. 22, wives submit to your husbands as your own as you do to the Lord. That's the master for the husband as the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. His body of which he is the savior. Another reason I always tell women the most important decision you'll make is choosing to serve God. Second most important decision you'll ever make is choosing your husband because he's going to be your leader. 24, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. 25, husbands, say husbands, love your wife just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up to her, for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. This, puts, this speaks truth to power. Men, this is what teaches you, this is what tells you what to do with all that power you have. Your wife is to respect you in everything. Your children ought to respect you. You are, you are the man. Now, what do you do with all of that respect and power? You give it right back. It says, love your wife as Christ loved the church. He's willing to die for her. And I told you the story earlier of Samaria. How they disrespected Jesus and Jesus' homeboys, the disciples, his posse said, you want us to pray and have fire come down and destroy all these people? Jesus says, no, this is my bride. I'm going to love them even though they're wrong. I'm going to forgive them even though they were disrespectful. I'm going to grace them even though they hadn't graced me. And I'm going to cover them and even die for them even though they don't deserve it the most powerful being in the universe that is unmatched, unrivaled, and unchallenged, instead of hurting his bride, instead of saying, I'm going to use my authority and my power to show you who I am, decided to cover her and grace her, even in her sin. So, men, what do you do with all that power? What do you do with all that authority? You do use it to love and grow your bride. Amen? Your bride should look more beautiful and more radiant Every year that goes by. You want to blossom a, a woman in the, the hands of a great man blossoms. Reaches her potential. So men realize you have the power to either push the rose apart or to help it blossom. Use it wisely. Amen. Where were we? 27. And to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. 28. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. 
who who loves his wife, his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body. I know I don't hate my body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, stop being mama's boys, and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, says he's talking about Christ. However, each one of you also must love his wife and love as he loved himself. The wife must respect her husband. That's some good stuff. Amen. Let's clap for Ephesians. Amen. Paul is just doing, giving us some good, good stuff. So that is why marriage is, in, why marriage is important. So let's get into what is marriage. First off, we have to know that God created people. Say, so God created people. And God is sovereign. So God gets to define what marriage is and isn't. The government, government doesn't get to define it. You don't get to define it. Your friends don't get to define it. Popular opinion doesn't get to define it. Because guess what? Governments change. At one point, Egypt was the most powerful government in the universe. Those days are long gone. At one point, the Roman Empire was unrivaled except by the cons. There are no more. Governments and world leaders come and go, but the word of God lasts forever. I was telling that to a man, I think it was today or yesterday, we were talking on the phone in a truck, and I've been trying to minister him and get him to understand the way he's living his life isn't the best way. Try to love them, try to spend time with him, and show him that the way he's living isn't the best way. I told him, you can make all the money you want. You can get all the accolades you want. You can grow all the businesses you want. But the Bible says only what you do for God will stand. The Rockefellers, those big old empires, the oil empires, when they were piping oil across America, the big train empire, people were buying up land to put their train and railroad tracks. That was the huge things, trolleys. Where do you see trolleys now? Maybe in New Orleans as a tourist attraction. Soon gas vehicles will go the same way as trolleys. These big important men are dead and they're killed children and no one even knows them. Right? Men and women die. Empires crumble. But God's word is important. So we need to be making sure that we're working in God's word. God it's his right as God to define marriage. So now that we've, def- we've gotten that out the way. Number two, God created marriage between Adam and Eve and set it apart as a commitment between a man and a woman for life. So since God created men, God created women, God created people, God created the earth, God created marriage, he gets to define it, and he defines it as an institution, as a covenant set apart a commitment between a man, say a man, and a woman. Newsflash, when you create something, you, you, get to, you get to say what it is. You get to name it. You get to design it. You get to say, hey, what is this new invention? It's a chair. I call it a chair. It's for sitting. You made it. You get to name it. You get to define it. So what is, what is a covenant? We say marriage is a covenant. What is a covenant? A covenant is an agreement. In biblical times, it was sealed in blood. 
A covenant is an agreement, and in biblical times, it was sealed in blood. How many covenants do you make in your life? You make two covenants in your entire life. One with God, sealed on the blood of the cross, and one with your wife. Not to be gross, both of those covenants were, are designed to be sealed in blood. Unbreakable covenants. How does the, how, when you get married, they normally say, till death do you what? Part. Covenants are, can only be broken by death. You know how they would do a covenant? In the Old Testament, God made a covenant with Abraham. They would take animals. They would slice the animals apart. And they'd have, say, the head of the sheep or the, the head of the goat or the head uh, of the animal and the horns or antlers, and they would have the bottom half here. And they'd have another animal and the, the upper torso here and the bottom half there. And they would do it all the way down. And I mean, when you slice an animal and just think about all the blood and guts. So what you have is a trail of blood and guts all the way down. And the parties would literally walk between the cut pieces of animals, disgusting in the blood. They wind up being soaked in blood from cutting the animals and from walking between the pieces. And the covenant was this. As we are covered in blood right now, I make a covenant with you. That if I break this covenant before I die, that what happened to these animals will happen to me. Covenants are unbreakable. You want to get out of a covenant? Die. Die. You only make two. One with God. To live holy. You know how you get out of it? Die. Die. You'll see God, you'll be judged, you go to heaven or hell, and you won't have to worry about lust, you don't have to worry about watching devil flicks uh, on TV, watching the wrong stuff, saying the wrong thing, because you won't have those options in either place. Covenants are permanent. You only make one, you only make two in your life, one with God, and the other covenant is with your spouse. Hope that's set in. That should be a weight and gravitas. I know the world tells us, hey, you don't like the flavor of the week? Just divorce and get a new flavor. The problem is that way it leads to hell, it leads to destruction, and ultimately it just leads to unhappiness. You counsel guys on their third and fourth marriage. I know people that are on their third, fourth, and fifth marriage. Pastor, I don't know why I can't find the right person. Buddy, after number five, I think you're just the wrong person. <laughs> I, th I think something's wrong with you, buddy. Right? Come on, that's good right there. So marriage is a covenant, and a covenant is an agreement. In biblical times, it was sealed in blood. Why do marriages go bad? So why do marriages go bad? Everybody starts off with great intentions. Everybody is so in love. Oh, even his farts smell good. Like, you're just so in love, right? <laughs> Everything is just so 
beautiful. You just look at each other and you just giggle. Like everything's so great. So how do you go from everything is so great, we are so in love, things are so beautiful, to I can't stand you. I don't even want to come home because you're there. I just drive around the block over and over because I just don't want to come in the house. I'm sleeping in the car in the driveway because I don't want to deal with you. What happened? Twinkle toes? <laughs> what happened? There's a couple things that happened. We're going to talk about them, so we're going to avoid those pitfalls. For one, why do marriages go bad? Why do marriages go bad? The man or the woman is the driving force of the marriage and not God. I see this in marriages all the time. You rarely ever see a marriage where both people are the driving force. Very rarely. 99 times out of 100, if God isn't the driving force, it's the man or the woman. Me and my wife counseled a couple, and it was very clear that the woman was the driving force. I mean, just, you didn't have to talk about it. It was just remarkably clear. She wanted to get an apartment and move in together. And, and he had his reservation. He's like, I don't know if we can afford it. It's really nice because she had champagne taste. And I don't know about this. And he worked out of town. And I believe he was a firefighter or something like that working in Houston. But she wanted it. And that's what happened. Because he wanted her. And it was clearly obvious. So whatever she wanted, that's what happened. And since he didn't want to lose her, he just... Like a little puppy dog. You just, babe, I don't know if this is right, but this is what we're going to do. Okay, okay. And I told him, y'all need to wait a year because this is off kilter. I guess you, and she said during the council session, she said, well, we've already gotten the apartment. Okay, unget it. <laughs> and, uh, but they didn't. And so I wasn't going to marry him because they didn't. Uh, I don't think they've, com- uh, they may have completed all their counseling sessions. I always require three before I marry anyone. That might have been a third, and I told them no. They needed to wait a year. And they decided to run off and get married anyway. Well, less than six months later, guess who's calling saying she left? And there's problems in the homestead. You don't start off crazy. You don't start off, well, you might start off crazy, but you don't start off knowing that you're crazy. You start off with butterflies and in love, which is why God has to be the driving force. Anything outside of God being the driving force, you're looking for bumps in the road. Because if, if he's the driving force, what happens when he decides to drive somewhere else? If she's the driving force, if the wife's the driving force, what happens when she decides to drive somewhere else? What happens when she decides that blue is black and you don't like it? You just fight, you argue, and you, you, you don't come to a resolution. But when God is the driving force, I say blue is black, you say blue is blue. But we can come to see what Christ says about our marriage. And we can set it on the anchor that is Christ. The marriages go bad when, they're, when they allow one or the other to be the driving force instead of God. How do marriages go bad? A failure to understand that marriage is an unbreakable covenant. That's a huge one. A lot of marriages go bad because they just think, they'll, people will even get married under the auspices that if this doesn't work, I'll just... Take a year to myself and then try again. It's not a biblical marriage. They just figure, hey, this didn't work. 
Betty didn't work, I'll try Sue. Sue didn't work, I'll try Mary. Mary didn't work, I'll try Jane. Jane didn't work, I'll try Linda. Linda didn't work, I'll try Rhonda. Rhonda didn't work, I'll try Melissa. I can't tell you how many women I've had to counsel. And we're going to be real because we're adults. Couldn't get a man. One had HIV, AIDS. Two of them had herpes. How do you, how do you deal with that? I have a, a plaque in my office that was presented to me, I don't know, a million years ago, by the city of Richmond. You should look at it. It's big as I like. I'm kind of proud of it. Because I helped sponsor, I think, the very first HIV AIDS day in the city of Richmond, Virginia. I'm a part of the town history. Y'all should clap for that just to make me feel good. <laughs> no. But I'm a part of the town history. And there, you know what I met there? Some of the most beautiful women you ever seen. And I was young and single at the time. And I felt like I was like, hey, let me try my hand. So and these were smart women, educated women, beautiful women. They had booths. Some were selling books, some were selling this. So these are business women, you know, Proverbs 31, right? So I walk up and, you know, and there's this two, this lady runs a booth. She's written a book. And she's like, all right. So I just walk up and I just say, um, I forget what I said, but I, was, I might have said something like, what brings you here? You know, something I don't remember. And she's like, oh, I'm selling this book um, on how to deal with HIV. I have HIV. Young. I mean, it had to be probably early 20s. Um, young, beautiful. Gonna have age for the rest of her life because she made some decisions. And now she has to try to date and marry and live the rest of her life from early 20 to whenever she dies with this. That kind of limits your dating options, doesn't it? <laughs> He's like, I'm not, I'm not dating. <laughs> I wouldn't know. Right? Yeah, that kind of that kind of limits your dating options. Limits them when you have herpes. Limits them when you have uh, multiple children. Doesn't make doesn't end them. It just limits them. Because some some people don't want to deal with these situations, and that's their preference, and that's totally fine. So when God says, "Hey, I, I got some parameters for you," it's not to hurt you; it's to help you. That's why He says, "Hey, no sex before marriage." Not because I don't want you to have sex; I want you to have tons of sex. I invented sex. Multiply the earth. And you see some marriages, they're doing that. They're like, what's that show? Uh, 12 and counting? God bless them. <laughs> you, you, you'd be like, 12 and counting, where's pastor? I think he skipped town and went to Puerto Rico by himself. Like, I couldn't, 12 kids? I'd be preaching on an island somewhere. <laughs> like, come on. So God wants you to have tons of it. He just wants you to have it in a context where it doesn't hurt you. And destroy you. That's why it says no fornication, no adultery. So why do marriages go bad? A failure to understand that marriage is an unbreakable covenant. Why do marriages go bad? The marriage has no purpose or mission. Raise your hand if your marriage has a mission statement. I would love to say that I invented that. But I didn't. Before I got married, I'd like to read a lot of books. I'm going through books now with all of the leaders. Um, 
except Xander, because Xander's currently learning Chinese, so he's in that, and he's about to start school. But all the other leaders are going through books. And we're reading, because readers are leaders. Leaders are readers. There we go. And uh, this guy said he had a mission statement for his marriage. And he began to break it down. I was like, oh, that is good. So we made a mission statement for our marriage. Before we got married, it's never too late. You should all have a mission statement for your marriage. Our mission statement is to evangelize the lost and to grow God's children. Grow the faithful, evangelize the lost. That's the mission statement for our marriage. That is the purpose for our marriage. If we ever got lost along the road, we can say this is why, this is why our marriage is important. This is the mission statement for our marriage. So if we ever go left or right, or we ever need to make a decision, we don't know what to do here. We can go back to the mission statement. Does this fit into our mission statement? Have a mission statement. Get home tonight and y'all start brainstorming. What is our mission statement? What is the purpose? When we die and they look back on our marriage, what do we want them to say? What is our mission statement? What is our purpose? So why one reason marriages go back is they don't have a purpose. We're just floating around here. Day by day. You know what happens when you live day by day? You always live day by day. Create a purpose. Create a mission statement. That is your homework. Circle that or write it on the per- on your in your your paper. I'm gonna go, we're going to go home and brainstorm. Start brainstorming a mission statement for our marriage. Amen. Why do marriages go bad? Spouses are looking for affirmation, validation, and meaning via the marriage, and not via the mission of the marriage. Whoo! That is good right there. That is good. I just wish I had a rocking chair. I'd just sit here in the rocking chair for five minutes and let y'all soak that one in. That is good right there. Spouses are looking for affirmation, validation, and meaning via the marriage and not via the mission of the marriage. You get married and think, once I'm married, I'll have somebody to love me. Wrong. You'll have somebody to love. Maybe y'all didn't catch that. I get married, I'm going to have somebody to build me up. No, you're going to have someone to build up. I'll be married with kids and that'll validate me. No, you'll have people to validate. See, the problem is we think marriage is a place where we should be restored and be filled up and we should feel good. No, 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 no. Marriage is a place where you pour out. Matter of fact, that is, bless you, that is a matter of fact, that's what Paul was saying about it. It's better to stay married because you can do more stuff. Or stay single, you can live for the Lord better. Once you get married, you have responsibilities. One reason that marriages fail is for that reason, because they feel like, hey, I, I, I'm not getting what I need out of this marriage. You see that on the talk show. Well, I'm not getting what I need out of this marriage. That is a horrible way to even look at it. You'll never get what you need out of a marriage because a marriage is a place to pour. Pour into your spouse, pour into your children. There's a place to pour. So if you're looking to receive, the husband's looking to receive and the wife's looking to receive, that's a problem. Both should be looking to pour. Let me pour into her every day. Let me tell her she's beautiful. Let me tell her about this book that I read so she can grow her mind. 
Let me make sure that I love her and, and give her little gifts and stuff to let her know she's validated. That's a man's perspective. From a woman's perspective, let me, let, let me say yes, baby, more and be, be lippy a little less so that he feels honored and respected. Men want respect. Women want affirmation and love. We're not created the same. We weren't designed to be created the same. I'm in the military. I don't want five uh, motor pool guys. Why do I need five or 50 or 100 motor pool guys? Where are the medics? I don't need 100 medics. Where are the nurses? I don't need 100 nurses. Where are the infantry? I don't need 100 infantry. Where's the airmen? God created us to be diverse and to fill different slots so that we can be whole. That's why single family homes are you find it's hard on the children because they don't get the balance. They lean one way too much often, one way or the other. Marriage is a place to pour, not to feel validated, not to feel affirmation. When you, when you put it in your mind, my job as a husband or my job as a wife is to pour. Let me pour into my, the spouse. Let me pour into the kids. When I mean pour, it changes everything. When you look at your marriage as a permanent covenant, I can't just pull a card or the ripcord and get out of this. It changes. When you know something is permanent, it changes how you look at it. I remember being on a marketing job and the, uh, Brian Ray told me, close the back door. And what he meant by it is I was smart. I could easily leave that job and do 50 million things. And he says, as long as in your mind there's a back door, you'll never be fully committed to this. He says, I need you to close that back door. Close the back door in your mind that says, if this doesn't work, I can just pull the ripcord. Because when you realize I'm in this till I die, it changes how you deal with people. It changes how you interact with your family because you realize this is my situation for life. I better make it good. <laughs> right? I better make it good. All right? So, relationship time to pour. So spouses are looking for affirmation, validation, and meaning via the marriage and not via the mission of the marriage. Your validation comes from the mission, not the marriage. That's why you need to go home and write your mission statement. Anytime I, I, I look back over our marriage, I can look back and say, hey, what was our mission statement? Evangelize the lost and grow God's faithful. Year one, did we do that? We did a decent job of it. Year two, did we do that? Yeah, we did a better job. Year three, did we do it? We did an even better job. Year four, and, and, and looking back, we can see, hey, we evangelized to hundreds and hundreds, thousands of people. People have gotten baptized, dozens of people. You baptized, I think, a dozen plus people one day at her old job. So my validation can come from the fact that our mission statement is being fulfilled. When I look back on our life, I realize that we are fulfilling our mission, and that brings me validation. And our mission honors God. So your mission should be something that honors God. It doesn't have to be our mission statement. Your mission statement could be to preach to people and save puppies. Whatever, you know, just whatever. It doesn't have to be our mission statement. But uh, it should be something that honors God. Amen? And your validation comes from the mission of the marriage and not the marriage. Why do marriages go bad? There is no investment into the marriage. No investment. Too busy to build a marriage so it gets stale, boring, and stagnant. 
Stagnant waters kill fish. Stagnant water kills the fish. You ever seen stagnant water? I got this nice little picture up here. Beautiful water, beautiful blue. You can see like some little, I don't know if those are turtles or what's some just shimmering stuff under the surface and it's just beautiful. And then you see this brown, nasty, stagnant water. That green tree trying to hang on for dear life. And all of these hundreds of dead fish. If you don't know, don't know what stagnant water is, it's water that doesn't move. It doesn't have an inlet and an outlet. You think of it like a lake. But even lakes move. There's current. There's flows. It has to be for oxidation. Believe it or not, sea creatures breathe the same air we do. <laughs> so if the water isn't being oxidized, there's no air in the water. They die. Right? And it's not because they're not in water. The water is totally fine. Not that it's not food. It could be tons of food. But if the water is stagnant, it can't breathe, and anything that can't breathe will die. Trees need to breathe. Plants need to breathe. We need to breathe. Land animals need to breathe. Mammals, fish need to breathe. So when you become too busy, let me go back, when you become too busy to build a marriage, you get stale, boring, and stagnant. I, I, I have a buddy of mine, he says they honor their date night like it's God himself. They have committed to ha having that date night. And before we had our little one, we, had, we, we, we were that same committed. When you have little babies, it becomes a, a little bit harder. Changing diapers and crying. You can't just put on a movie and say, I'll be back in a couple hours. But we still try to honor it. Whether If we don't have time or even if we don't have money. One of our best date nights, and I still remember it. I hope we have pictures somewhere. But we had her mother come over and watch the baby. They didn't, she didn't take the baby. She just watched it in the house. Right? And we, uh, y'all see that little fire pit we have in our backyard? We put the fire on. My wife made this whole little uh, charcuterie. Is that how you say it? Charcuterie? Charcuterie board. And, and uh, we put the TV on in the back. We had one of the most romantic and most beautiful date nights we ever had right in the backyard. Your date night doesn't have to be incredible as far as spending a ton of money. To me, that was incredible. We didn't go out and spend a bunch of money. We just bought the, the stuff, and she made it, and we, we, I cleaned up the backyard, and we just had this cool little date night. You got to keep the waters moving, man. got to keep the waters moving. You got to keep the waters moving. If I'm out of town, we'll FaceTime. We'll pretend we're on a date. Got to keep the waters moving. Don't let the waters get stagnant. Because if you're too busy to build your marriage, it'll become boring and stagnant. And, and, and what, what blows me away, this is what blows me away, We're, we have time for the unimportant, but are too busy for the important. A lot of the, the couples that should have been here tonight, not to put anybody on blast, they're like, oh, I got to do this job, I got to do this work, I got to do this, 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 this. But then you want to set up counseling to fix your marriage. Well, you should have been at the marriage conference. <laughs> we become too busy. What keeps our time? We'll make every excuse. Oh, I got work. I got work. But if you check the screen time, phones do screen time now, you got 18 hours of uh, Facebook and 12 hours of Instagram this month and uh, 30 hours of devil flicks. That's what we call Netflix. That's devil flicks. I need to, don't, they are literally demonic and I don't have time to go into your counsel those subscriptions. Don't give the devil any money. 
You go to Pure Flix, go to Up Faith and Family, go to Amazon Prime, whatever. But you have all of this time, 20 hours of Devil Flix, 19 hours of Facebook, 12 hours of Instagram, but you don't have two hours for a marriage conference or an hour and 45 minutes to, to go eat a meal at Hawaiian Brothers. Great place, by the way. <laughs> right? Come on. But, 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 this, but this, this, this is it. Listen to this. Someone taught me this long ago, and it blew my mind. They said, if it, doesn't, if it won't matter five years from now, then it doesn't matter today. If it won't matter five years from now, then it doesn't matter today. We will make time for things we won't even remember five years from now. But we'll neglect our kids and neglect our wives. And if we're neglecting them, then we're definitely neglecting God. Because our second covenant, our marriage to each other, is just a reflection of our first covenant, our marriage to God. If we won't honor our creator, then we're not going to honor our marriage. Just, if we won't honor our first marriage, we won't honor the second one. Make time. Don't let the waters of your marriage get stagnant. If you got to just go out in the backyard and buy two calendars from the dollar store and write each other poems or whatever, keep the waters flowing. They don't have to be gushing like, a, like a, the Grand Rapids. They just have to be moving. Even a slow trickle will keep a river from getting stagnant. Just keep the waters moving. Amen? All right. So how do we make our marriage amazing? How do we make our marriage amazing? The world wants to know. All right. So how do we make our marriage amazing? Prayer. Say prayer. Faith. Say faith. Marriage mission. Investment. Love. Grounded in church. The recipe to making your marriage amazing. You just stir that up, you'll have an amazing marriage. Prayer. Jesus got so upset. Think about it. You don't see Jesus mad often. And that's, that's weird. You think if somebody spit in your face, you'd be mad. And they spit in Jesus' face. Could you allow someone to spit in your face and be okay? No. <laughs> Like, not at all. Uh, and then some sisters like, oh, no, this, this didn't even happen. Right? <laughs> like, don't go, right? right? Like this, this. And so you think he'd be mad. People beat him. Think he'd be mad. They mocked him. They literally smacked Jesus upside the head. They blindfolded him. Smacked him upside the head and said, if you really, God, which one of us hit you? You know everything. And that was the wrong, that was... But his own, not just the Romans, not just the foreigners, his own people mocked him. He's dying on a cross for their sins, and they're going, hey, you, you all letting the bag of chips get yourself off the cross. Just levitate off of something. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you're all powerful. Didn't get mad. Matter of fact, he says, forgive them, Lord. They don't even know what's going on right now. They don't even know the, the significance of the moment. But you know when he did get mad? You know when he did get mad? When he was messing with his bride. You want to see somebody get mad, mess with their bride. You're going to see a whole other side. They go to the church, and his church is supposed to be a house of prayer. 
and they're out there treating it like a swamp meat. Hey, man, I got two alligators for $5. I got some doves over here for 20 right? Like, and they're just treating it. They got people over there exchanging money, treating it like an ATM machine, and they're doing everything but having church. They're doing everything in the world but having church. That scripture kind of makes us, as we grow, you know, I'm, 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 I'm seriously considering how we grow because of the significance of that scripture. Because you go to some churches and they have like a little restaurant inside the church or they have, you know, coffee bars and they have all of this stuff. And I'm really concerned and, and want to make sure that as we grow, because God has shown me a vision, as we grow, I want to make sure this is always a house of prayer and not some type of business or market. The only time you really see Jesus live it, he says, they've turned my house. It's supposed to be a house of prayer. They've turned it into a commerce. He kicks over table. He starts beating people. You think it's like the Django Unchained. He has a whip. And he's like, he's running people out of there with a whip, beating folks. It's like Alex Haley's roots. He's livid. Because he says, this is supposed to be a house of prayer. Because the power is in prayer. How powerful would it be is if instead of yelling each other out, one of you had the sense to grab the other's hand and say, oh, 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 let's just take a moment and pray. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Let's, just, let's just take a moment and pray. I know you want to kill me right now, and I want to, every, every, all the energy you're giving me, I want to give it back to you plus some. So you ain't about to play with me in here, right? But let's take all that energy, and let's just take a moment and pray. Because prayer changes things. Let's have some faith. Not just in God, but in us. Let's have some faith, not just in God, but in us. Because one of the first things you lose when you're upset or when things aren't great is faith in your marriage. And faith in your spouse. Don't raise your hands on this, but anyone ever just thought that don't raise your hands? Anyone just ever thought, don't raise your hands? Anyone just say one more, don't raise your hands. If you're at home, don't raise your hands. Anyone ever just thought that spouse was an idiot? Don't say nothing. This is the inside your mind question. <laughs> right? Because you get angry and you just think, I married an idiot. One of the first things to go is respect and honor when you upset. So how about you have a little faith in your spouse? Because ultimately, if your spouse is an idiot, you're the idiot who willingly married the idiot. <laughs> Who's the bigger idiot? <laughs> They're idiot. They don't know better. You're the idiot who married them knowing better. All right? Have some faith. Have some faith in the other person that they're not an idiot. That, have some faith in your marriage. Amen. How to make your marriage amazing? Have a marriage mission. Your marriage mission will always guide you north. Your marriage mission will always guide you north. Should I take this job? Does it agree with the mission? Should we have another kid? Does it agree with the mission? Should we live in this city? Does it agree with the mission? Should we go to this church? Does it agree with the mission? You should be in church every Sunday, but where you go, does it agree with the mission? I know for us, before we ever planted Expanse, we had to be somewhere that challenged us. We are, let me say this in a delicate way. 
We, we are people that believe the Bible. And we are people, First Lady and I, that want to follow the example of the Bible. That's the best way I can put it without bashing other people. So we have to be in a church, not that makes us feel good. If I go to a church and I feel good, I'm probably at the wrong church. If I'm at a church and I just, I just feel good every Sunday, it never urges me to change. I never feel convicted. I never walk away like I should change anything. I'm at the wrong place. Jesus literally told them, because they, they got on the Jesus after Levi, a tax collector. Go ahead, go to Luke chapter 3 and 4. After a tax collector who was considered the enemy because he was a Jew serving the Romans got saved, Jesus says, hey, get out of the tax collector booth, follow me. Levi gets out of the tax collector booth, follows Jesus. They go have a party at Levi's house. The other Jewish people come and start antagonizing him. Say, you're supposed to be this amazing preacher. You're supposed to be all that in a bag of chips. Because they're always trying to antagonize Jesus because I guess maybe they were intimidated and felt like he was stealing their thunder. And he says, but you're here and you're hanging out with sinners and tax collectors. And then Jesus says, hey, I'm, I didn't come to save the people that were good. I came to save the sick. So if the church is a hospital for the sick, that means that I should be getting better. If I'm getting better, that means my condition is changing. So I can't come to a place where my condition never changes. I come in Sunday, every Sunday, and nothing, nothing you say makes me feel like I need to change. I feel all just hyped up and motivated like I just went to a Tony Robbins seminar. But I don't feel convicted. When Jesus preached, people felt convicted and they changed. Hello? <laughs> come on. Prayer, faith. Marriage mission, investment. Let me tell you about who knows what ROI stands for. Return on investment. I, I could talk about that all day. You want your husband to do some things? Invest. And you'll get a return on your investment. You want your wife to do some things? Invest. You'll get a return on your investment. And if you're like me, I want dividends too. Pay it out. <laughs> invest. Invest. Don't let your water get stagnant. Because if you flow the water, you'll get a return on that investment. Guaranteed. No one goes to a bank they don't have money in and says, hey, can I get $1,000? Do you have an account here? No. Because there's no investment. But you can go somewhere. They, they, during the war, they, to raise money for the wars, uh, a lot of the world wars, they would sell bonds. They're called war bonds. And they would promise you, if you buy this $500 war bond in 10 years, I'm going to give you $750. It's an investment, guaranteed money in 10 years. Versus sitting in a bank, and over that 10 years, you're going to make $5 or $10. I'm guaranteeing you $250 on that $500 investment. Or $150, $200. It's a return on investment. If you invest it, you can get a return. But if you're not investing... Why are you looking for a return? You haven't had a date night in six months, and you wonder why you argue. You haven't just held hands and looked in each other's eyes in, in months. You can't go three days without getting frustrated with each other. You wonder why things aren't, aren't amazing. 
How about you take the L so you can take the W? How about you take the L so you can take the W? How about you lose the argument so you can win your marriage? How about you lose the battle so you can win the war? Don't you know there's been wars where we'll lose the battle, we'll retreat and give up land? Because it's not worth, us, worth it to us to lose 50 people over this when we can just pull those people back and take all of this. Why burn these resources for a small battle that's insignificant? Look at the bigger picture. I'm going to fight with you for a half an hour just to, just to tell you that bacon doesn't, shouldn't be crispy. And now we, we're so mad and we're angry with each other. We're never supposed to go to bed mad, but we just, I'm sleeping on the couch because no, bacon should be crispy. No, it shouldn't be crispy. Fighting over stuff that, that doesn't matter. Because if it won't matter in five years, it doesn't matter what. Fighting over stuff that don't matter. So I'm going to burn my relationship for five years to win what? A battle over bacon? Hello? Investment. Invest time. Invest love. And pick your battles. I can't tell you. I'm a stickler for time. I am a stickler for time. Your first lady is not so much. So I can't tell you how many times I'm in the car waiting on your beautiful and perfect first lady. And, and, I, type out a, and I type out a text message to send her. And then I delete it. And then another three minutes go by, and I write out a longer text message to send her, and I delete it. And I write out another one, and I delete it. And then she gets in the car, and I try my best to smile. Because I don't want to win the battle and lose the war. You got that one? Love and grounded in church. Those two we're going to flesh out a little bit here. How to make the marriage amazing? Love. Let's talk about what it isn't. Let's talk about what it isn't. All right. Love is not agreeing with you all the time. Some people think that love is I agree with you all the time. Wrong. Love is not agreeing with you all the time. Actually, um, it's known that uh, relationships that actually argue more stay together, more than relationships that don't. Love is not agreeing with you all the time. Love is not never arguing. So I'm not telling you to argue, <laughs> um, but love is not never arguing. So I know that's a double negative, so it's saying love is arguing. But love is sometimes arguing. Love is sometimes arguing. Better to get off your chest than be mad at somebody that for a reason that they don't know for nine years. Back in 2003, you stepped on my cat. What? I don't even remember this. All right. Love is not having money. Sometimes we believe love is having money. Love is not having money. If you've counseled people like I have with money, just to watch them divorce, you realize love isn't money. They were doing great when they were coming to counseling. Then they decided to stop coming to church and stop coming to counseling. I think within two years they were divorced. He had a new boo. Howard needed to go to his apartment to talk some business and because uh, he was in real estate and talked to him and his new boo. And I'm sure now he's on boo number two. 
or three or four. Still trying to find his way. Still trying to be act like a peppy 20-some-year-old, probably in his 40s, near 50. Not as cool. All right, love is not having money. Love is not allowing you to run over me and abuse me to show loyalty. There are some relationships where, where they're, they're like, you know, domestic violence. I'm smacking you around. If you love me, you'll stay. It may seem funny until you're in that relationship, right? Just talking to you and telling you some good stuff. So for all those out there, love isn't getting your face stomped in or getting cussed out every day or called words. And this is for him and her, husbands and wives. And that's being considered loyalty. Not the case. Love is not supernaturally knowing how you feel. There's one God. Humans are not them. This guy used to say, there's one God and I'm not him. So don't expect someone someone to supernaturally know how you feel. She should know I want the thermostat at 72 degrees. He should know I don't eat a Tomatoes on my Rice Krispie Treats. <laughs> Stop expecting people to know how you feel. Open up your mouth and talk. Number one problem relationship have is money. Number two is communication. I already told you love is not money. But you should be able to communicate. Do not expect someone to know how you feel when you have not expressed it to them explicitly. Not hinting around. Not dropping clues. Don't drop me a clue. You know what I do with clues? I ignore them. I do. I don't know how to read lips. I've told my wife this 500 times. You know what, she, what, what, what I do when she tries to go? I just look at her and go, and walk off. <laughs> told you this. Right? Stop expecting people to just know how you feel. Don't drop hints. The hints are obvious to you because you have the answer. You know how you feel. You know why you're mad. You know what you like. So the hints make sense to you because you have the answer key. Don't expect them to make sense to someone else. We are not Neanderthals. Have a conversation, even if it's uncomfortable. Love is not a feeling at all but a decision followed by a lifelong series of actions. Love is not a feeling at all, but a decision followed by a lifelong series of actions. Love is not a feeling. Oh, when I look at her, I just, mm, butterflies. Or when I look at him, I just know he's the one. No, honey, that's just gas. You ate tacos for lunch. No, that's not a, love is not a feeling. Love is a decision. Love is a decision. Look at Ephesians. Love is a decision. Right? Even when I'm mad at you, I'm going to honor the marriage and not sleep around. Even when I'm mad at you, I'm not going to call you out of your name. Even when I don't feel all of these love and butterflies, I'm going to honor you. Even when I feel like you're an idiot, I'm going to still treat you like you're a genius. Love is not a feeling it is a decision followed by a lifelong series of actions. If you want to shorten it, you can just say, <coughs> love is not a feeling at all, but a decision. Or love is not a feeling at all, but an action. 
Love isn't how you feel. When you say I do, it's not I do to feel like this forever. It's I will honor you, love you, respect you, cherish you, honor this relationship regardless how I feel. Happy, I will honor you. Sad, I will honor you. Angry, I will honor you. It is a decision. How to make the marriage amazing, 1 Corinthians 13, 4. We've read this before. Love is what? Patient. Love is what? It does not what? It does not boast. It is not what? Proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not what? Self-seeking. It is not what? Easily angered. I work on that all the time. Not easily angry. I've gotten a lot better. A whole lot better. It keeps no record of what? I had to get better at this too. (laughs) And still working on it. Because my mind is analytical. I remember what you did 2003 at 4 o'clock on Tuesday. I I remember. And my mind is totally processing and it's processing and it's processing and it's processing old information. And it's processing new... Like a calculator, trying to figure out the square root, right? But love says, keep no record of wrongs. Love says, don't be easily angered. When she's 20 minutes late and you ask her to be early, just love her. Just forgive her, right? Love does not dishonor. When you want to put him in his place and make him feel this big, Remember, he's the one you should look up to. So if you make him feel this big, who are you looking up to? If you want him to act like he's up here, you got to treat him like he's up here. If you want her to walk with integrity, you got to treat her with integrity. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. I don't delight in just trying to hurt you just to hurt you. I don't delight in trying to hurt you just to, just to hurt you. I have agreed before God to honor you, love you, and build you up and blossom you. For him and her. Why would I delight in dishonoring God by dishonoring you? It always protects. Love always trusts. Love always hopes. Always perseveres. We talked about this. Have faith in the person. Have faith in the marriage. Love always protects. I might be angry with you, but I'm not going to let somebody else talk about you. I'm not going to demean you to our children because this might be a temporary feeling for me, but that's a permanent scar to them. I could tell you some stories, but you get it. All right, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never what? Never fails. And don't think about the other person. Think about you. You always want to be the victim. Never be the victim. Always be the victor. We always want to think, you didn't love me. No. Did I love you well? If I loved you well, this would probably be better. So don't think about the other person. Internalize. Think about you. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where they are speaking in tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. And now, these three remain. Faith, say faith. Hope, say hope, and love. But the greatest of these is 